number 714 for the Song of Invitation. Earth, wind, and fire. When the earth moves, sometimes we have mudslides and landslides or earthquakes, and people suffer greatly in these natural calamities. Sometimes the wind blows and it tore... Tornadoes come and hurricanes come and it tears up everything in its path. And then sometimes it brings water with it. Storm surge, it floods. And behind in the aftermath you have standing water and mosquitoes and germs and disease and all kinds of calamities happen. And we're so far removed from some of that sometimes it's like listening to the sounds of silence. We don't feel it and we don't hear it. And if it's not in our family, we don't connect with it really unless we see this constant barrage of news media reports, and yet, so we're aware of that, and we see the, the human suffering all around us, and our hearts are touched by those that are, their lives are, are devastated. Uh, just this morning on the way out here to the building, before, just before 9 o'clock, well, it was about 8.40, something like that, we were driving, and we were out in front of the big church uh, on the freeway I-40, and we were eastbound, and there was westbound traffic coming, and suddenly just suddenly without even blinking and I was looking at the lanes and watching for that pothole I know is there and I was driving along and all of a sudden a FedEx truck with a double tractor trailer rig slammed into that retaining wall, that concrete wall and he didn't just graze it, he went head first into it. I don't know if the driver survived. It didn't look like he would have in the flash that went by but part of his hood and part of the front of his truck flew over our car and under it and we missed it and it was, it was in our rearview mirror before we even knew it. And I was thinking about Sean's lessons the last two Sundays about the point of impact and how someone's life changes forever in an instant like that. And I suppose that traffic's been tied up for quite some time this morning. In my rearview mirror, I saw him jackknifing and the whole the second trailer coming around past the first trailer and spinning. And I don't know what all happened after that. And we were out of sight by the time we turned the curve coming northbound. It can happen so fast, and we're we're aware of all this, and yet. These things still don't touch us, and yet you can listen to the sounds of silence close, close by. If people could just be speaking up somehow, and, and this morning could just speak up, and we might hear someone say, my husband has anger issues and is very controlling and is very jealous. Well, my husband was unfaithful to our marriage, and yet he repented of that, and I forgave him, and we were reconciled. Well, my husband was unfaithful, and I don't think I can forgive him, and I'm going to have to leave. Well, my husband was unfaithful, and he left me totally out of my control. Well, my husband is near death. Well, my husband just went to the nursing home. Well, my husband just died a week ago. Well, my husband died several years ago, and I'm still looking for my new normal. And all these heart issues are upon us as people are struggling daily all around us with the issues of life and the heartaches and the sorrows. And we could go on with the list. My mother, my wife, my parents, my children, my son, my daughter, or me. And it comes close to home as we think about our own malady, our own challenges. And so we ask sometimes, well, is there any sure word from God on this? Is there anything that will help me get through this and cope with this and and help others cope with the challenges that are going on in their lives? Jesus said in John 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, and you believe also in me. And he goes on to say, In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again, and I'll, I'll get you and take you there, and you'll be with me. And it's interesting, as Jesus would tell people listening to him to not let their hearts be troubled, and yet in the world we live in, there is trouble on every hand. And of all things... 
we read on several occasions where Jesus himself had a troubled heart. How can he tell us not to have a troubled heart if his heart got troubled? Well, to unpack that a little bit and understand where he was coming from, we understand that the word troubled has several meanings. Just like we use the word love and it has so many ramifications, so many different depths of meaning. I love apple pie. I love my Aunt Juanita. Or I love uh, God. I love my wife. And I love fishing or something. It all means different things and we use the same word. And so what does the word troubled mean when Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled? Troubled is from terasso, meaning stirred up. And that's what they said in John 5 and verse 4 about the pool of Bethesda. It was believed that an angel would trouble the water at certain times of the day. You could be healed if you'd get in that pool at the time the angel troubled the water, stirred them up. Troubled can also mean to be disturbed, agitated, and confused. So when we read any time that Jesus' heart was troubled, was he confused? Was he upset? Was he agitated? Was he disturbed? Jesus expected his disciples to trust God, and they already did to a large degree, but he expected them to trust him because his words had been proven to be true. He was always consistent. He never lied or deceived people. His works were manifest in themselves to prove that he was something special or that he was actually the Son of God and the Son of Man. And so there was every reason in the world to trust Jesus. And it seems that Jesus was always calm when everybody else was upset. A storm at sea, Jesus is asleep. Things are happening all around, and Jesus is like, calm down, it'll be okay. But then, when people were real calm, Jesus would be upset. The disciples would say, look, Jesus, look at these beautiful buildings of the temple. And Jesus being within, struggling within himself at the reality of of the condition of the world and the plan of God, when they said, look how beautiful these buildings are, he said, well, I tell you, not one stone is going to be left on top of the other. It's all going to be torn down. And so here Jesus was, whatever the reaction around him seemed to be, Jesus was calm and steady. And yet we read sometimes that Jesus would have a troubled heart. And there are at least three examples of this, three times we're told that phrase about Jesus. And that's one of them is in John chapter 11, at the death of Lazarus. And taking up the storyline in verse um, 28 of John 11, and this is when Jesus now is confronting the pain of despair in the lives of the people around him. Jesus confronting the despair and the hopelessness in the lives of people nearby. When she had said this, this is Martha, when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is, is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were there with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly... And went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And Jesus said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have, not, have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within or troubled, Tarasso, came to the, wound, to the tomb. And now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, 
I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is an amazing thing where Jesus is touched by the feelings of the infirmities of those around him. He sees Mary and Martha weeping. He sees all the people around them that are there to support her. They're weeping and crying. And Jesus sees that. The response of some of the people as they were looking at him and said, well, see how he loved him. And then others were like, well, couldn't he have prevented this? So they took a little different tact on that. And then in John 11 and verse 53, we see that some people in response to this, watching Jesus raise this man from the dead, decided from that point on their mission in life was to put Jesus to death. And on top of all that, some other people sought to put Lazarus to death again. It's odd how people respond even to the living, walking, talking Son of God on the earth, wearing sandals, showing us the way, working miracles. And some say, we think we'll just kill him. And others in the face of a miracle of the resurrection of this man Lazarus, that we'll just kill him again, as though that was going to settle something. But here was Jesus, the resurrection and the life, weeping over death. And it must have been, as I see it in Jesus' mind, thinking about his mission on the earth, that he's looking around at this and he's thinking, what a mess. Look at these people. They're all broken and they're crying and they're suffering because of death. And why do we have death? Because sin entered into the world and death by sin. And why am I on the earth? Because I'm going to face and handle this death problem, which is related to the sin problem. And that's why I'm here. And look at this mess. And so he's overwhelmed by this. His heart is troubled, not that he's afraid or scared or confused, but that he is in touch with the feelings of their infirmities. So Jesus weeps over the cares of others. Song number 132 in our hymnal, Does Jesus Care? Brings out the life in this passage and in this man Jesus. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained? It's pained too deeply for mirth or song. As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and, and long. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with the nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does He care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief, I find no relief, though my tears flow all the night long. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to Him? Does He see? Oh, yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. And why is that? Because the writer of Hebrews explains to us, we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And that's because we have one that can be. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16, 17, and 18. For indeed, He does not give aid to angels, but He does give aid to the seed of Abraham. That's all of us with our sorrows and fears and heartaches and suffering. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. We have another song we sing, My Jesus knows just what I need. He knows just how I feel. He knows every care and every tear that I shed. He knows all of that. 
because he was here. And that's why we take things to the Lord in prayer. And you notice in this, when Jesus was talking about or getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead, he brought the Father into this. And when he was right there at the grave, he said to, to the Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He addresses the Father. And again, a second time that Jesus is troubled, we are told, is in John 12. And here he is facing the horror of the crucifixion. Because he had it ever before him as he was on the earth. He knew his mission and he was only here to fulfill the will of the Father. And most of the time when he did explain what he was doing, when people pressed him, he'd say, well, it's because of what God said is why I'm doing this. And I'm here to do the will of the Father, the one who sent me. In verse 20, beginning in uh, John 12, Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. Then these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began asking him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. So now notice the response here. They said, there's somebody here, there's some people here wanting to see you, Jesus. And Jesus now discloses what's inside of his heart and what's been on his mind all this time as he's approaching these these events. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now what kind of an answer is that? When they said, there's people here that want to see you, and he said, the hour has come when the Son of Man is going to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, and here he goes again. He's dealing with this life and death situation, this handling of sin, this crushing the serpent's head and all this, and he immediately addresses the Father in this. He's taking it to the Lord in prayer, as it were. So what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus now is envisioning, I'm here to war with the devil face to face. I'm going to hang on the cross and I'm going to look down at my feet and see the very writhing of the demons in hell and Satan himself down there. And I'm handling this for you. So he's got this on his mind. And so he says, judgment is on the world. The ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. And I'm thinking it was because he wanted to be alone and focused and go to the the Father in prayer and work through this once again. What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? No, 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 I can't do that because I came here for this hour. Hebrews 2, verse 9 and 10 The writer explains what was going on in heaven the night before Jesus comes to the earth. And it says in verse 10, For it was fitting for him by whom are all things and and for whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. So Jesus is saying, "I've, I've gone through this with you. 
And any time we cry out, well, Jesus didn't have to fight a fire in California. Jesus didn't have to worry about floodwaters and mosquitoes. Jesus didn't have to worry about divorce. Jesus didn't have to worry about car wrecks. Jesus didn't have to worry. He doesn't understand. We can back off and say, yes, he does. Because he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And so he dealt with, with people, and he dealt with Satan. He dealt with sin and, and problems and sickness and disease and death. And so he, for the suffering of death, he was made perfect because of the immense suffering he went through. He took the curse which sin brings and the full penalty of the broken law, the full manifestation of the power of the devil, and the full expression of the wrath of God. And he wrapped all that up for one time and tasted it for all mankind once and for all. He did that for us by the grace of God. And the result was he was crowned with glory and honor and highly exalted. So then Jesus could say to us, don't let your heart be troubled. There's no reason for your heart to be troubled. And when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't worry. There's no reason for you to worry. Worry's not going to fix anything. What matters is what happens after this world is gone, after the fire, after the flood, after the storm, after the wind, after the disease, after the grave, after the casket, after the service, after all that. It's when you see God someday, that's what matters. So Christ has borne all our sins and nailed them to the cross. He's crushed the head of the serpent. So what is there to be afraid of? We don't even have to fear Satan himself. What we have to fear, though, is our own choices. Our own choices and whose side we're going to be on. A third reason, a third time that we're told that Jesus was, was troubled in his heart was when he recognized the brutality of betrayal. Jesus had to deal with human resources. Being made like his brethren in all things... He's going to be perfected through sufferings. And part of the suffering he went through was when somebody else sells you out. When the people you've given the key to the side door of your heart come in there and do some kind of damage, then it hurts. And so Jesus is going to be able to understand what it's like to be betrayed, whether it's a wife or a husband that betrays the marriage vows or whether it's whatever it is. Jesus knows just how we feel. He washes the disciples' feet here in John, the 13th chapter. And after he does that, he says, you know what I've done to you? He gave them a lesson, an example in service and humility and kindness and all of that. But then in John 13, beginning in verse 18, he continues, we continue the storyline there. He says, I do not speak of all of you, but I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass so that when it does happen or does occur, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And when Jesus had said this, He became troubled in spirit. There's His heart troubled again, troubled in heart. And He testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know which one he was speaking about. And there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us of whom he's speaking. And he, leaning thus back on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, Well, it's the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him, for some were supposing that since Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, Buy the things that we have need of for the feast. Or else maybe 
he was telling him that he should buy something and give it to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. So it had to be this way. Peter and the others preaching on the day of Pentecost said that what happened leading up to the cross was done. This is Acts 2.23. He was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It had to be that the Lamb of God, the sacrifice, the only one that there was ever, would have to be betrayed into the hands of these unbelievers and these, these evil people so that he could be sacrificed without the camp. It had to all play out. But it didn't have to be Judas. It had to be that way, but Judas is the one who made the choice. And when Jesus calls him out and says, you're the one, and then as soon as the, the events take place, the devil enters into him and he goes out and he makes the transactions and, and you know how the rest of the story goes. But you can imagine how it must have felt for Jesus. And he knew Judas. He had selected Judas along with the other 11. And Judas was right there with the apostles in all this action, close, at the same table, in the room, all, all around, and here's Judas right in their midst. <clears throat> and Jesus knows how it feels to be betrayed. In the Old Testament in Psalm 55, we read a, a, a statement here by the psalmist that seems to indicate this same thing of how, how it's, it hurts so much when it's a friend or someone you thought was a friend betrays you. Verse 12 through 14 of, of Psalm 55, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could just hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. We went to church together and this is what we get. The sorrow and the trouble of betrayal. And Jesus felt that as Judas goes out and does what he's going to do. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. So that doesn't have to be you or me that does it. It's our choice, how we live our lives. Through Jesus' experiences of humanity and His example of hope and peace, we can have comfort in our troubled hearts. If we're facing death and the reality of it and see the sorrow in the lives of other people, we don't have to let our hearts be troubled for long because we take it to the Lord in prayer. When we are bearing our own cross or when we are sold out and betrayed and left behind or abandoned, we don't have to let our heart be heavy for, for long because we can take it to the Lord in prayer. Through Jesus' teaching and words, we find our greatest blessing of hope. And listen in closing to four statements that Jesus said as he said, this is why I'm talking to you like this. This is why I'm, I'm telling you these things. John 15 and verse 11. These things have I spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. John 16 and verse 1. These things have I spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. John 16 and verse 4. But these things have I spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. And he's speaking there eventually of the coming and sending of the Holy Spirit. And finally in verse, chapter 16 and verse 33. These things have I spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. 
I have overcome the world. And that's our only solution. Our only hope for our troubled heart is in Jesus Christ and in his victory over death and the grave and sin and hell and Satan and all the powers and principalities that ever existed. And so we can overcome with Christ. And the way that Jesus has made that possible is if we receive him, we're receiving the Father that sent him. If we're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us. But if we're not ashamed of him, we'll confess his name before men. We're willing to confess our sins and turn our lives around and turn them over and die to our old self crucify ourselves, take up our cross and follow Him, and glorify God in our bodies, living a living sacrifice in the name of Christ. And those people who name the name of Christ and obey His will are baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins, and they're raised to walk in a new life, forgiven and restored to a relationship with God the Father. This morning, you may be ready to make that decision and put on Christ in baptism and be saved. Or it may be that as a Christian, you need prayers on your behalf for forgiveness or restoration or some other burden that's on your heart that we can help you with, that Jesus can help you with because of our prayers to Him. So if you have a spiritual need this morning, if you want to obey the gospel or if you need to come for prayer, let me know that if you will while we stand together and while we sing, if you'll come.